Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you and only you are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. Brian Barnett here. You're listening to The Last Symptom. Welcome. Today is a great day to listen to the show because this week, as best as I can figure it, this is the one-year anniversary of The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder Podcast. I'll tell you why I say it's the best that I can figure. Every year, at around the same time of year, I take a road trip to a particular city here in the U.S. for reasons that are personal, so I won't go into it. But I will tell you that while I'm there, I have a good time. I enjoy myself. I attend baseball games. I eat the best food I can get my hands on. And uh, I get involved in other activities that are of a more solemn nature. It was last year, during this very week, that I was on that trip. And it's a trip that I'm on right now, in fact. So I know that a solid year has gone by. Now, remember, I had no knowledge of what was involved with creating a proper podcast that could be syndicated, more or less, out to iTunes, Spotify, and all this stuff. I I didn't even know anything about recording formats (laughs) or the benefit of a quality microphone or editing or anything. I knew absolutely nothing about what I was getting into. So this was a very crude recording done as simply as possible and put out for a relatively small, intimate audience. That was one year ago this week. And the response to that was immediately so positive that I right away set out exploring my options for improving and expanding upon it. Until that point, I had been writing and writing and writing more. But this recording, for some reason seemed to have a much more powerful impact on people. It took several months for me to settle on a platform for my show and then to get it syndicated out to everybody, as well as to know exactly the requirements that everybody had in place. You know, iTunes required certain things, and Spotify required certain things, and everybody required their own things. Then, of course, it took me just as long to learn how to use certain types of editing software to develop a name for the show, to create artwork, choose my logo, identity. All of these things took much, much work. And at that time, I had many other responsibilities as well, completely unrelated to this part of my life. So it was really a full-time undertaking on top of my already full-time jobs. Well, what a journey it has been. The interest and the support has continued to grow, and as it does, 
I've tried to be flexible and grow with it. Until here we are, one year later, with a weekly show that averages between 45 minutes to an hour, as opposed to the earliest episodes that averaged 20 minutes in length. (laughs) The thing about that was, when I started, I was using an iPad for everything. So everything I did with the show, I was doing on an iPad. Uh, And so for memory limitations, 20 minutes was about all I could get for a show. As time went on, I was able to upgrade to a laptop. I thought the days of laptops were gone, to be completely honest with you. I thought, well, everything I need to do, I can do with an iPad Pro. So I had put about $1,000, you know, into an iPad Pro. And uh, I had no idea, no idea I'd be doing this, you know, down the road. So um, I really did not foresee a day when I would have to be using a laptop again. But as I got into the technicalities of doing something like this, it began to become pretty apparent that uh, I was going to need more powerful hardware. Let's put it that way. Meeting demand. I designed and I developed the website thelastsymptom.com, which is full of free resources for those interested in the principles and laws that form the foundation of emotional health and authentic recovery from emotional unhealth, not just for people interested in ridding themselves of borderline personality disorder, for everybody interested in authentic emotional health. That's the beautiful thing you see about basing my work on universal principles and laws. They apply to everybody. Everybody who can learn them, see the way that they're interconnected and harmonize and make perfect practical sense, can benefit themselves from this information. Because I'm just a normal guy, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a therapist, as all of you know really well, I can't offer treatments or therapy for anybody, and I don't. But what I can do is that I can share any life insight that I have with anybody I want to share it with, the same as anybody else can. So folks all over the world are now able to reimburse me for my time to talk one-on-one with me so that I can share with them the personal insights I gained from my personal experience of having recovered from borderline personality disorder myself and the adjustments in thinking that I had to make in order to achieve what I did. And because of my intimate personal experience of having had to go through it myself, I'm often able to hone in on very specific things that are holding others back from making progress in their own efforts and then explain things to them in a way to break through walls, because I myself remember not understanding these things myself. And I have that perspective of not understanding it, finally having that breakthrough, and then looking back and wishing it had been explained to me in a better way. So often when I'm trying to help folks, I'm preemptively understanding where that blockage is. What's keeping them from understanding something or something that I know is going to be difficult to achieve clarity on and why it's difficult to achieve clarity on it and how when I was in that same situation, 
if somebody had explained it to me in such and such a way, that might have gotten the job done. So I hope that makes sense. When I'm approaching people and trying to help them understand things, that's what I'm doing. I'm tapping into to what was keeping me from understanding those things. And then I'm trying to approach it from different angles for different individuals to see if we can't have a breakthrough together. A couple of things to keep in mind. Every new aspect of my work has had less than beautiful starts. <laughs> for example, if you listen to the early episodes of this show, which they're all available, the sound is absolutely gruesome. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, if anything took me a long time to figure out, it was how to get a good sound for these recordings. So now when I listen to those old shows, all I hear is echo and the way the sound seems off. And I hate that those episodes sound that way, but do you know what? People, new people, continue to discover the show. And they continue starting off with those early episodes. And they continue sticking with me until they get all the way through and catch up to where we're at today. So I'm glad, I'm very glad that the actual information, that it continues to draw people in. Every new aspect of this work has required an educational period for me, which sometimes lasts a couple of months or many months. But I promise every single person that I've talked to that I continue to think about you and your situations long after our call is over, and I continue to think about how I could have made the call better for you and how I could have better addressed your particular needs. For example, there's a fellow in New Mexico who I spoke to uh, months ago who was unusually hard on himself. And as our conversation started winding down and coming to an end, I felt like I had not been able to provide for him the spectacular breakthrough that perhaps he was hoping to get from me by scheduling time with me. You know, that was many months ago, and I still think about him, and I still think about how I possibly could have provided him with a greater insight for his specific circumstances. I really hope he's continuing with the show and that he's continuing to expand upon all that he had learned up to that point of our phone call. Incidentally, some critics have, well, uh, criticized me <laughs> for charging for one-on-one -on -one conversations with me, but that's what critics do, right? They criticize. But I want to assure you all that I'm not swimming around and heaps of money like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> you know, this reimbursement for my one-on-one -on -one time is an arrangement that's meant to support this work that I'm doing and to support its growth. Let me be honest with you. I've all but retired from my day job in order to be able to dedicate the attention and time that this work has grown to need. If I weren't being reimbursed in some way, this show would have to end, and all of my time and energy would have to be spent instead earning a regular paycheck. 
So everybody who schedules this one-on-one time with me or donates to this work should know that, yes, they are supporting me. But more importantly, they're supporting the continuance of my work as well as its growth, which means that anybody else out there that I might be able to help in the future is something that you have supported and made possible. Now, do I ever use the money to buy myself a new shirt (laughs) and things of this nature? Yes, of course I do. I use it to support living, the same as any job. Work supports living, which in turn supports you being able to continue to do that work. But what the money is really supporting by far is my time. And what does my time translate into? Greater support for people who are hurting and looking for accurate practical insights. Because of the financial support, I can spend my days writing articles, interacting with those on my group, and spending hours, hours preparing the show that you are listening to now. Incidentally, would you like to know when I begin preparing each of the episodes of this show and how long it takes me on average? I begin thinking up the topics for the next show as soon as I finish the current show. And in fact, many times, for many months or many weeks, I'm carrying around a topic in my head that I'm dying to get to, but other things seem to come up and be more present at the time or more timely for my audience for that week. So, for example, in the previous episode, episode 57... I finally got around to talking about self-harm. That is a topic that I've been packing around inside my head for, I'm not kidding, probably four months, four months. But every week when I would start to prepare the show, based on the conversations that were happening within my group, um, based on the topics that I had discussed the week before and things of this nature, It just never seemed to be the right time to discuss that. So I carried it in my head with a place marker on it. All right, we got to get to this. We got to get to this. And there are many other topics like that that I'm carrying around that uh, when the time is right, I'll pull them out. And that's what the topic of the show will be. But generally, generally, I begin thinking up the topic for the next show as soon as I finish the current show. So, for example, as soon as I finish recording this episode today and I post it, the first thing I'll do is I'll listen through it again. I'm probably listening to it at the same time a lot of you are. And I do that to check to see if there are any inaccuracies. Um, If anything could have been explained better, I listen to the sound quality and all these things. Then the very next thing I typically start thinking about as soon as I listen through, is what will be a good theme for next week's show. I continue entertaining these thoughts on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then first thing on Monday morning, the first thing I do is I get up, I prepare my coffee. Black. Strong. And I sit down, I wipe the sleep out of my eyes, and I start working on the outline for the next episode 
of this podcast. And I continue working on it and fine-tuning it on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Thursday comes, and Thursday is my day for recording and editing the show and then posting it out to the world. Lately, of course, in addition to the uh, weekly podcast, and I've been working on developing some structured courses that I'll be able to offer people hopefully as soon as this fall. I would not be able to do any of these things if my time was instead being burned up at the hospital as a Spanish interpreter, which was my day job, until the demands of this work began to overwhelm my ability to do that. By far, the majority of the modest amount of money that has come in up to this point has been used to upgrade equipment and to support my pro bono efforts with others. Listen, here's the reality of the life I'm living right now. For every thousand people who hear me mention the donation option or the option of hiring me as a consultant, out of a thousand people who are aware these things exist, how many do you think I get donations from or that hire me as a consultant? Well, it's about one person. That's true. It's about one person per every thousand people listening to my show or making use of all the other resources that I offer. Think about that. Out of every thousand people who use what I'm providing, only one person on average will offer a donation or pay to have a conversation with me. Last week, for example, I had three appointments scheduled. Three. Two were pro bono, which means that those individuals reached out to me and explained that they were under financial hardship. So I dedicated personal time to them at no charge. Only one of the three was a paid consult. So, why am I sharing these details? Well, we're all about honesty and transparency here, aren't we? So I'm just sharing with you that the demand is here every day. I get tons of correspondence. I get tons of messages, more than I can keep up with every week. Yet, the support that I get is not always there. So, if it were to continue like this, the work I'm doing would die. That's just all there is to it. I would not be able to continue dedicating the same amount of time to it. But, I say if it were to continue like this, because I don't think it will continue like this. I feel pretty confident that uh, as my audience grows and as word about my message grows, that more and more people are going to trickle in and more support is going to happen. Also, if the structured courses that I'm planning to roll out this fall get enough support, which all indications are that they will, this will be enough to keep my work going since those are paid services and will make up for a lot of lost. Well, what I mean is that it'll financially make up the difference for all of the work that I do that I don't get reimbursed for. One last thing I want to share with you about this topic is that if you ever talk to a person who has scheduled time with me on the phone, they're going to tell you, that unless I have an appointment scheduled immediately after, 
I never end the call right when the hour is up. It's very standard for me to continue talking for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour longer, depending on the situation and the person and their needs. So it's not like, you know, most of the therapists that you're used to. They schedule you for an hour. You get to talk to them for 45 minutes. And at 45 minutes on the dot, they're showing you the door. I know how it works because I was there. For those of you who have supported my work, I want to tell you how much I've appreciated it. There are a few people who support my work with recurring donations that are very modest. To tell the truth, we're talking about $10. But I'll tell you this, not a new month comes when I don't think with great admiration for those people. It's just so admirable to me. And if you think about it, even $10 a month is probably a strain for them sometimes. And yet, it shows a real appreciation for what I'm trying to do for them. I just have so much respect for that. So I'm not trying to guilt anybody into a deluge of new donations or appointments. But I am going to start being much, much more discerning with who I give my time away to for free. And I've already started cracking down on those who slyly try to circumvent the arrangement I have in place for my one-on-one time. So I'll no longer reply to direct correspondence by people who want to get into in-depth conversations and get my thoughts on things at no charge who have written me directly rather than scheduling the time with me through thelastsymptom.com. All right? It's got to be done the right way. Otherwise, the work's not going to be able to continue. I need that support. This work needs that support. And so please do that. One thing that was recommended to me recently is that I could provide an arrangement of sponsorship at thelastsymptom.com, which would allow those who are financially secure to sponsor hours of time with those who are under financial hardship so that they could be able to talk to me one-on-one in private, and yet I'd still get reimbursed for my time and then the work, and I, therefore, would still be supported financially. So this is something you might see appear pretty soon at the, thelastsymptom.com. So there you go, a little peek behind the scenes of how much this whole shebang has grown in just one year's time. What will the last symptom of borderline personality disorder look like next year at this time? Well, it'll be interesting to see, won't it? But I can right now give you an idea of a change that I'm making today. This episode, the episode you're listening to right now, is the last episode that will use the name The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder from here on out. The show's going to be called simply The Last Symptom. I've been holding off on this decision for a while, but I think the timing is now right. The reason for the change is that many people bypass the show simply for the reason that it has borderline personality disorder in the name. And we're talking about people who could really benefit themselves by listening. So 
I'm going to continue to focus especially on borderline personality disorder and on my efforts to help others recover from the disorder as I did. But I'm going to start de-emphasizing the borderline personality disorder wording a bit and focus more on the principles of emotional health and unhealth. Borderline personality disorder will continue to be featured prominently in search results and things of this nature. But really, I'd like to draw in more people who could benefit from what I share who get scared off by that label. I'd like you to think about it for a minute. How did I authentically recover from borderline personality disorder? Did I do it by following some magic recipe that works exclusively, only, on people with borderline personality disorder specifically? No, I did it by piecing together the causes, which are the same causes for many other emotional disorders, and then by putting in real work to gain profound insight on principles and laws of emotional health in general and then making comparisons between the natural results of understanding and living by these principles and laws compared to what I had been used to. You know, the way my perspectives up to that time had been, and how they were wrong, and the disharmony that was creating and had been creating in my entire life. So is there absolutely anybody who could not benefit from most of the fundamental principles and laws that I typically explain in these shows. No, the information is beneficial for everybody. It's even beneficial for those who are already emotionally healthy but want to better understand the explanations for what's going on in people who are not emotionally healthy. So there you go. The big announcement of the year. The next time you hear me, next week, you'll technically be listening to an all-new show called simply The Last Symptom. But that's not the only surprise I have for you. Remember that first show I told you about that I recorded a year ago? Well, that recording was lost forever to time. When I made the move to an international audience and podcast syndication, I deleted that episode and I had no backup for it. In the past year... On several different occasions, folks have mentioned that first show and said how much they liked it and how what an impact it had on them. And could I someday repost it and make it available? Well, fortunately, what I did not lose was my outline for that show, which I have here right in front of me. So, for your pleasure, the following is the first episode re-recorded for your pleasure. What were the last remaining symptoms of borderline personality disorder that I experienced? Depression was the last thing to go. And bear with me while I try to explain it with an illustration. Imagine you're driving along in a little smart car. You know, they make these little tiny compact cars. Look like they have a, a mouse running around in a trolley, and that generates, <laughs> generates all the power for the car. So imagine you've gotten yourself one of these tiny little dinky smart cars, and you're driving along, 
and you come to a railroad crossing. As you are there, you feel the ground beneath your tiny little dinky car begin to shake. And ding, ding, the gates of the railroad crossing come down. And suddenly, a train comes rumbling by, causing your little tiny smart car to bounce around like hot oil on a skillet. Looking out of your tiny little windshield in your tiny little car, you look up at the train that is roaring by, and how does it appear to you? Isn't it true that the train appears enormous, impressive, and frankly, intimidating? But now imagine that you're in an airliner. You're sitting on an airplane, and you're flying overhead. You're flying overhead of this scene that I just described at 35,000 feet, and you're, you've, you're fortunate because on this trip you got a window seat. So you're on this airplane flying above the train and your car way down below, and you're looking out the window of this airplane. Looking down at this same scene, does the train still appear enormous, impressive, or intimidating? No. And in fact, now that you're up in this airplane and you're looking down at this scenario, you, you can see everything in context, can't you? The broader picture, the way everything is laid out in relation to everything else. You know, the entire experience of recovery from borderline personality disorder was like this for me. First, I had no idea I was in the car. Next, I learned I had always been in the car. And with this knowledge, I was able to peer out for the first time through the windshield and see what was going on around me. And that was when I saw for the first time this violent, huge train grinding by. What happened next is that I become aware of the airliner passing overhead. Years passed like this, of me ruminating, trying to wrap my mind around the broader perspective of how everything was related, how it all tied together, trying to grasp everything's relation to everything else. But the proximity of this enormous rumbling train made it pretty difficult to maintain focus for long periods of time. Now, if you're having trouble with this illustration, let me help you out just a bit. Me realizing I was in the car was when I first discovered and accepted that I had something called borderline personality disorder. And, you know, I, I often say I was 35, but as I've been working on the book lately, I've realized that uh, when I first come to this realization, I was 37, in fact, 37, realized I had always lived with this thing called borderline personality disorder. It actually had a name. I couldn't believe it. 
that was me realizing that I'm in the tiny car. This realization and this knowledge gave me the ability to look at things in a different way that I could not have seen before. And when I looked out the window and I saw the huge roaring train going by, do you know what the train was? The train was the effects, all the damage, the results that borderline personality disorder had caused me. Very intimidating. I thought this thing is, this train is insurmountable. I'll never be able to get around it. But I was aware of an airliner flying overhead at 35,000 feet. What, what was the airplane? The airplane was emotional health. And somehow I knew I had to get up there. I didn't know how I was going to get up there, but I knew I had to. And then, one day, like coming out of a dream, I realized that somewhere along the way, slowly, gradually, I had become a passenger on the airliner. I was now in that window seat, looking out the window, seeing the full picture, how everything was laid out in relation to everything else. In other words, all of my years of ruminating and analyzing and thinking and expanding upon what I knew had rewarded me with comprehensive, cohesive understanding. When I describe emotional unhealth and emotional health to you nowadays, now you know why I can do it. Because I'm not from a vantage point in that little tiny car. Rather, all of my work has given me the advantage of having an aerial perspective of how all the different elements and parts of it all relate to all of the other parts. I'm seeing things, the bigger picture. By the time this happened, by the time I gradually become aware that I was no longer in that little car, that now I was up in this airliner, most all of the symptoms of borderline personality disorder were a thing of the past. They had been undone by my awareness and my deep understanding of the forces behind them. But there was still a profound sadness that come with this understanding For example, it still makes me deeply sad that my father, behind the guise of parental love, is directly responsible for years of tragic loss and tremendous, unnecessary pain in my life. That my own mother, who could have protected me, did not, and chose to support the man who was bringing all this emotional damage upon her children, and she still chooses to deny the damage that my dad is responsible for, in effect, creating a safety bubble that ensures that he will enjoy a full life free from ever having to face what he's done and the true nature of what he did. With clarity has come the full weight and understanding of the pain that my actions, although rooted in ignorance and unhealth, Inflicted on people I truly love and care for, how could I do that to them? The memories I ruined for them, the way I treated them like enemies, when they were the greatest people I could ever 
ever have hoped to enjoy an intimate relationship with. They enriched my life tremendously, and I used them. I fed off the good they had to offer, and I gave them nothing lasting in return except for betrayal, pain, and ruined memories. With clarity came true understanding. With true understanding came profound sadness and depression. With depression came a period of having to come to terms with the reality of the situation and work up to acceptance. Acceptance meaning, for all intents and purposes, getting to a point where I could forgive myself and begin looking forward more than behind. And that just took time. My heart still breaks. It's still very heavy when I allow myself to go into those memories and thoughts. I wish more than anybody could ever understand that I had a time machine and could go back and do some things differently knowing what I know now. Or merely spend an hour with some of those people that I love who I will never again get to spend another minute with. I miss them. Or go back and put an arm around my five-year-old self and tell that poor kid that his feelings matter. That he inherently matters. There will probably always be moments like this for the remainder of my life, but they're moments I no longer dwell on. The dwelling is not healthy, you know? It's like obsessing over the fact that it's going to rain tomorrow. What power do I have over the weather? It's wasted emotional energy. I can sit around letting it fill me with frustration, or I can get off my butt and go get an umbrella. The future is a clean sheet of paper, and I can draw whatever I like on it. Think about this. At one point in my life, I had not met my ex-wife yet. I did not know that she or our mutual friends even existed. I didn't know that my mistress existed. All of those people were out there in my future somewhere. And now, they're my past. But there are still new people and new events waiting for me out there in my future. People and events which may eclipse even the most cherished moments of my past. And this time around, I'm moving toward them in emotional health. I feel very happy and positive about the future.